We read to know we're not alone. Hey, this is a special podcast today where we are going to be talking about the top five favorite books we both read this past year. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. Welcome to the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. How you doing? Not bad yourself. I am doing well. Last week uh, during the episode, I referenced the book Canoeing the Mountains, and that mm-hmm. just had us thinking, what if we shared, uh, both of us maybe just shared our top five favorite books that we read during 2020? Not our top books from 2020. I misread that email. Yeah, you did. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, <that> was- <laughs> so whether whether the book was written this year or we just picked it up and read it this year, it's all fair game. I, th- I like that. So we just thought, you know, for people who are readers or people who want to find a book to read in 2021 uh, or people who just want to hear about some of our favorite books, what we're going to do is just kind of go through these pretty quickly and just give like a little bit of an overview or maybe one thing that stood out to us. And maybe that'll help people find some great books to read. Do you read often? Yes, but it comes and goes as far as how much I do. Gotcha. So I'm always reading one or two books, but it just depends on if I'm reading 30 minutes to an hour a day or Mm. more, or maybe just a couple minutes. Gotcha. And And I usually read something serious um, that's going to maybe change me. Mm-hmm. And then I try to read a biography or nonfiction and those can change me as well, right. but they don't, they don't make my mind keep churning over things. So I read yeah, those yeah. before I go to bed and that just depends how much I read is how tired I am. I try to read as broadly as I can. So I don't get pigeonholed, you know, as, as, as ministers, we're very much like, Oh, theology and Bible and church. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like, I got to read some poetry, you know, I got to read some non, I got to read some fiction as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I feel that definitely. I yeah. try to read a book a week. Yeah. I try to read a book a week. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. Yeah. I, I just, I know when I'm going to sleep, I mm. can't read the heavy stuff. So I want to yeah. read fiction. Like I want to read a John Grisham or something like that. Mm. That will just be fun Gotcha. or biography. I like to read presidential biographies, although I kind of failed on that this year. Um, I've been doing that, and I really enjoy it. There's some really good ones now. It's just they're usually long. Do you have a favorite uh, presidential biography? Grant. The, really? The one on Grant was fantastic, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it was by Ron Chernow. Uh He's the same guy who wrote Hamilton, okay. in which they made a little Broadway musical about. I haven't um, heard of that. So, yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll probably hear about it sometime. Uh, the thing is that book is like 900 pages oh, of small print. But, man, it's really good. It gave me a huge appreciation for him nice. that I'd never had before. So I'm currently reading Lewis's space trilogy. I had never read it before. I'm not a huge science fiction fan because mm-hmm. it can be kind of pessimistic or nihilistic. And I was like, this is kind of depressing, you know? So I'm, I'm enjoying reading that right now. Awesome. All right, well, let's go. You want to kick us off with uh, your first book? Sure. So my first book is actually from the year 2020 and it is 99% Invisible City, a field guide to the hidden world of every day. It's written by a guy named Roman Mars. Um, Roman Mars has his own podcast called 99% Invisible. And what it does is that it focuses on the designs of everyday life 
that we really don't see or that we really don't talk about. Uh, some of my favorite episodes are actually about flag design or uh, the font on highway signs, um, as well as a light bulb that's been on for 100 years and it hasn't gone off. <laughs> so I really like this mundane intentionality that comes with designing a city to function properly. So I, so I have a question about that. Yeah. So I've been able to travel a little bit and been in different cities around the world. And one thing that always strikes me is no matter how much poverty or violence or in my mind, just struggle that I see, the city still kind of functions. Yeah, and that comes from really good design. And that's kind of the whole purpose of the book and the podcast, that the world runs by these unseen or these hidden designs within a society, a culture, a house, um, a building, whatever, um, that make it functional. Hmm. And that's really interesting because there's so many stories behind the people who make these designs or yeah. the evolution of these designs. It's fascinating. Yeah. So what about you? What's your book? Okay. So book number, and, and I would put this probably at the top of my list, but it is called The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Viotis. And it did come out just this year. Yep. Uh, he preaches uh, in New York City. But the idea of the book is five transformative values to root us in the way of Jesus. So let me tell you those five things. And before I do, he talks about uh, the redwood trees uh, that grow so large. The roots don't actually run super deep. They run super wide. Oh, They cool. spread out. And he talks about the value of um, different faith traditions that we can learn from that really root us and allow us to grow tall. Uh, but he talks about these five, he, he would say these aren't the only five roots that we need to have a deeply formed life, but these would be five that are important. Uh, the contemplative rhythms for an exhausted life. I think a lot of us feel exhausted. Yeah. Um, uh, two, racial reconciliation for a divided world. Three, interior examination for a world living on the surface. Four, sexual wholeness for a culture that splits bodies from souls. And five, missional presence for a distracted and disengaged people. And so I love the book. It's very easy to get through, but it's uh, boy, really based in scripture. And even though it's easy to get through, the stuff is really deep and thick and good. And so I'm loving this book by, by Rich Viotis. Was there a certain principle or, or one of the five roots that really stood out to you while you were reading it? The um, learning more about some of the contemplative practices mm -hmm. and how quickly our culture, and when I say our culture, I mean me, can get, <laughs> can get away from that right. just in a hurried life. And so he interviews some people and talks to some people about how they just really make that a part of their lives and how that's formed him and his church. That's awesome. And when you think about New York City, it's not a slow pace. Hey, and New so York Minute. Think about how uh, radical it is to live a contemplative life in New York City. Uh, but just as much as they need a contemplative life there that slows down, so do I uh, yep. right here. Okay, what do you got, number two? So there, I have a handful of books that I read every year. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, Orthodoxy by Chesterton, and this year I added a book to that Ooh. list, and it's A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. It is a fantasy book, um, one of the most fascinating magic systems that I've ever read, uh, even compared to like Lord of the Rings and, um, and other things of the like. Um, this, is about a, this is the story about a man, a Ged, who learns humility. By he has an idea of what a hero 
or uh, a, a wizard is supposed to be, and it just slowly deconstructs that, and he learns humility, and he learns identity um, uh, through this whole process. Uh, one of my favorite quotes in the book is actually, it is, um, it is very hard for evil to take hold of the unconsenting soul. Ooh. And I really like how Le Guin um, just writes. She has she writes prose um, like most people write poetry. It is mm. very elegant and flowy. And each chapter, even though it feels like a standalone event, it all connects and it just bleeds into each other. Fascinating, fascinating world building uh, and rich, interesting characters. Okay. What about you? Yeah, so uh, the second book I'll mention is um, The Louder Song, Listening for Hope in the Midst of Lament by Aubrey Sampson. And so uh, there's not like a huge market for books written about lament. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But there, there are some. Th- this book really helped me just think about how God uh, gave us this practice of lament so that, so that our souls could be healthy, but also so that we could help other people be healthy. And uh, my friend Matthew McBirth, who's actually going to preach uh, for us uh, next summer, um, uh, just mentioned, I, we, he and I were talking about this, and I saw him write something, how if we only lament for ourselves, we're not practicing the golden rule. And oh, wow, that's how good. we need to learn to lament for others yeah. in their time of crisis and hurt. And so she just gives some really helpful ways uh, to practice this and how God uses lament to soften our hearts and to uh, be still in our grieving so that we can find the hope that he has for us. It's really great. That's really good. I like that. Yeah, and and I have gotten to know her just a little bit, and I like it when I get to know an author a little bit, and she is just genuine and really kind and uh, is doing some more writing that I'm really excited about. Really, And so if, if you have a chance to, to read her stuff, do that. Definitely. I'm, that, that's on my list. All right. What do you got? Number three. Number three is... Um, by one of our favorite uh, ministers, both of us, uh, Timothy Keller, his book, oh, yeah. Preaching. Yes. Um, I don't remember if it came out this year or not, but it is a phenomenal book that not only looks at the practice of preaching, like here's how you do a good sermon, here's a good outline, but really gets to the heart of preaching, especially yeah. how to engage with the modern culture when it comes to preaching. Um, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of sermons that would have been really good in the 1950s. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Unfortunately, um, but I've also heard a lot of sermons that I that, that didn't connect with me. The content was good, but the presentation was very much off. So Keller really does this beautiful job of of prescribing the heart and the mind um, of preaching and the ultimate goal uh, from the pulpit. And I, I really do appreciate it. It's refreshing to get a book that doesn't only focus on homiletics and then a book that doesn't only focus on um, the ethos and everything that goes into preaching, but really blends the two of them together uh, in a very readable. Timothy Keller always writes read- readably. Yes. Readably? He, ri- he writes readably? That's a weird <laughs> sentence. He does a, I enjoy reading his book because it doesn't ever feel like preaching. It just yeah. feels very loving, very pastoral. Yes. And this is definitely one of those books that spoke to my heart and my mind, which doesn't always happen with Christian works. Yeah, and he, pre- you know, he spent his time preaching in New York City, to an audience of lots of people with PhDs yeah. and a, a very academic audience. And so he had to study like crazy yep. 
in order to communicate with them. Yes. But he did, he always does that in such a loving way. So I actually used to go jogging with Keller a bunch. You used to jog with Keller? We used to run along the Arkansas River here in mm -hmm. Tulsa. Uh, we would hit the Turkey Mountain Trails. Wait, but I thought you just said that Keller was in... So, wait, hold okay, well... Okay, I'm confused. Okay. Either you're lying or there's something <laughs> I'm not getting. There is something. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, for a, a solid year... I would listen to a Timothy Keller sermon every time I went jogging. Okay. And so, I, you know, once, twice a week, um, it was just me and Timothy Keller <laughs> playing, playing uh, you know, his old sermons. But when you listen to someone preach for so long, yeah. you really kind of feel like you become their friend. You know yeah. how their voice goes up and down. You get to hear bits of their personal story, mm -hmm. and you can kind of start to think, oh, I know, I know where he's going with this. And I just loved that year of listening uh, to him. So if you can listen to Timothy Keller, do so. He's a treasure, yep. I think, for the American church. And uh, That's the uh, name excellent. of your next book. Me and Keller and reflections on yeah. reflections on Timothy Keller's yeah. sermons. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I did. I, I used to tell people, yeah, I went, I went jogging with Timothy Keller today, and then they would always give me that look, and then I, <laughs> I had to fess up and tell them. I like that. That's good. All right. So, uh, book number three for me is uh, "Return to the Reich," and so this was a true story biography um, written by Eric uh, Lichtblau. And it's about a Jewish um, man who, as a, I think it was about 12, when his family escaped Germany and the Holocaust that mm -hmm. was coming. So they flee from Germany, which is, you know, they leave their family business and all of their heritage, all of that. And they come to America. And uh, uh, he wants nothing more than to fight for the Allied forces because of what Hitler did to his wow. family and his home. And uh, he meets resistance. They won't let him in. And, and anyway, he keeps just persevering. And he ends up uh, doing spy missions oh, for cool. the Allied forces behind Nazi lines. Oh, gosh. Like in disguises, like including disguising as a German uh, general. Um, or maybe not general, but uh, uh, right in, in the military. Yeah, yeah. And so he's undisguised. I mean, how's this he, not a movie? I, that's exactly what I was wondering. So the the way that he gets there mm -hmm. was they drop him and two other guys, including another Jew, um, out of an airplane in the middle of the night in Austria, and they parachute down and land on a glacier. And the plan is to ski to get to the closest town and then begin their their spying work. It is unbelievable. The, our listeners can't see my face, but I'm just <laughs> what? Yeah, it's that right. Is amazing. It's right out of James Bond yeah. kind of stuff, and so uh, it's a fascinating read, and it's great history, and it and it really should be taught more because I don't want to give any more spoilers, but right, right. there's some stuff that happens that is actually really, really huge with the entire war and how it ended. So wow. um, it's a, it's pretty fascinating. And just the courage that he had is pretty just off the charts. Nice. You, you yeah. said James Bond, and I just immediately thought of Sean Connery as a Jew behind enemy lines. Just yes. like, we're going to track down the notches. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> okay, number four. All right, so my fourth book is Atonement. 
uh, by William Lane Craig. Uh, Craig had two books that are dealing with the atonement. One came out this year. I'm talking about the earlier one, which was part of the Cambridge series, which kind of sparked his really digging into the atonement. Uh, this book looks at all of the atonement theories. And I appreciate um, how C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says that the, there are two aspects of the atonement. There's the historical event of the death and resurrection of Christ, but now we have to deal with the implications, the theological consequences of what this happens. And Craig says that all um, ideas about what the atonement accomplishes is atonement theory. Uh, so what he does is that he goes through like Christus Victor, um, uh, penal substitution, um, and all these other different types of theories that are accepted within Christendom, and he looks at them historically, where they began, where they came from, um, and, and, and who really gravitates toward these based on their denominational upbringing. It's a fascinating historical look at a particular theology, watching its evolution and, and um, uh, uh, polishing, if you will, throughout the centuries, um, but also kind of helps us recognize that all theories of atonement are important. Mm -hmm. That we can't just say Christ did only blank on the cross um, because it may ignore other aspects of the atonement um, that touch on other areas of our life and deal with other types of theology. So I, I, it's a short read. I think it's like maybe 80 pages. Oh, really? It's okay. a really short book. Okay. Um, very readable. Um, his later book on the atonement really expounds upon it, and it's mm -hmm. hundreds of pages. Okay. Um, but this one, Atonement, part of the Cambridge series, I love apologetics and philosophy, so this is definitely up my alley. I yeah. really enjoyed it. So, so my fourth book is also a theology book, and it's uh, called The Message of Ezekiel by Christopher J. H. Wright. And uh, I, uh, I've been preaching through the book of Ezekiel, so always about six months before I preach through a book, I start trying to gather up resources mm -hmm. and such. And I found this just to be uh, the most helpful in studying. Uh, so it's a, it's a Bible commentary. Um, but if you're studying personally through uh, the book of Ezekiel, it would not be like over your head to read. It's not just purely academic, um, although that's, you know, that's kind of the, the baseline of it. Um, it's, it's very, again, that word readable. Yeah. It's readably. Readably? He writes readably. It's redouble. Uh, anyway, that's, you can read that's it. It's not going to go away. Um, but it, it's, it's really excellent, excellent, and I appreciate it. So the fifth book is on my list and your list. Yeah, that we, which was really kind of cool. Not really surprising, just given our, our current cultural climate mm -hmm. with everything that's going yeah. on. A very relevant book, a very, a very uh, immediate book. Um, and surprisingly, one of the best sellers on Amazon yeah. uh, as, as well. So it's really cool to find a history book that's a bestseller, especially from a Christian yeah. um, author and, and, and speaker. And that book is? The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. Yep. You want to give kind of the, the overview of that book? Sure. Um, a lot of history occurs in this book, but for the most part, this is looking at the role of Christendom or the church um, in regards to racism and its progression and also its abolition. Um, so the, the book does a really good job of presenting the history of the church's role within racism, but also racism's role within the church. Mm -hmm. And that is, it, to be honest, it's one of the hardest reads because yeah. I found myself repeatedly trying to defend Christians. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm like, but but the, like Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite sure. ministers, there's a whole section dedicated to how he um, 
was okay with racism and slavery. Not, I, I don't know if racism is the right way to say it, but he was definitely okay with slavery. Yeah. And while he believed in the spiritual equality of all people, he didn't believe in the social equality of all people. Yeah. This is a hard book to read because it's honest and it is truthful. Yeah, and, and what Tisby would say, um, and I think that word is helpful, is for Edwards and others, they were complicit yeah. to the racism of their day. Right. So they, they there didn't was stand inaction. against it. Yeah. 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 And that, that's one of the big things that he harps on is that inaction is one of the greatest problems uh, from the church. Yeah. That we'll say things are wrong, but then we won't really do anything about them. And the result is that things don't change or they even get worse yeah. when Christians do that. When Christians take the the harder path and and stand up, then we see change, but there's always pushback, sometimes violent pushback against that. Yeah, it was kind of like uh, how you were talking about last week with Canoeing the Mountains, that anytime there is a change, you're going to lose something. Yeah. And if anything, this pandemic has taught us that we have to lose some things in order for the church to continue to progress forward. We're going to have to change our methods. Mm -hmm. And what I really appreciate about this book is that it's not objective in its critique of the history. Um, uh, Tisby does a really good job of not only presenting the historical accounts, but kind of explaining why they happen and what we should learn from them and what we should not do, uh, and provides interpretation of here's what we should learn and here's what we should practice. So it's in both ways a history and a commentary on history, which I think most history books are commentary on mm -hmm. history. Yeah, and Tisby brings the receipts. Like, he documents yes. everything. This is an opinion. Right. It's very well um, uh, resourced. That's not the right word. What's the word? Recited. Researched. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and so I just appreciate that he documents everything. Yep. And uh, there were some folks that have have read this that I've talked to, and they and that's one of the things that if you have some defensiveness against it, you need to see those citations of like, right. oh this person really did say this, or this really right. did happen. Uh, our church eldership uh, actually read this book together. And one of my favorite things about the book is, even though there's some brutal stuff to read where you see yeah. like, oh man, it just breaks your heart. Yep. And it really helps you see some of the suffering um, that our black brothers and sisters have endured, sometimes because of what the church did or did not do. Right. Um, but at the end of the book, he offers a lot of steps that churches can take together and that Christians can take, and it's just practical things, and I loved that. And so that's what um, some of the things our leadership is really kind of talking about and, and, and praying about right now. And for some people, they may hear what we're discussing and say, oh, oh, well, red flag, that sounds like a social gospel. And that's not at all what the book is getting at. It's dealing with the spiritual aspects of racism mm -hmm. that— Prejudice, especially sinful prejudices, are spiritual matters. They're not primarily social issues. That's me not loving my neighbor as myself. And yeah. that's really what he harps on. So this is not a social gospel. This isn't the church is going to change the world through politics or legislation. That's not what he's talking about. This is a really an intimate self-reflection on how I may or may not be participating in spreading racism. And that's a weird thing to have a conversation of, my unconscious sinfulness affecting others who I say I love. Mm -hmm. That's, it's a strange area to be in, but it's a needed one. It's, it's that, it's the self-reflection and allowing the Holy Spirit to convict and to reveal areas of our lives that 
maybe we're just not aware of and maybe we're not that into. Yeah. So one of the things in thinking about racial reconciliation is I always want to use discernment about uh, with whom will I hitch my wagons? Yes. You know? And uh, you know, can I can I learn from I can learn from lots of people. Right. But I may not want to, uh, you know, fully trust or go along with what everyone says, especially if they right. come from a standpoint that isn't based in Christ, because right. that's ultimately uh, where our hope lies. Uh, Tisby, I can I can follow his lead. Yes. And he uh, has the church's best interest. And I've not only read this book, but listened to him. And I'll put maybe a link or two to a podcast episode where if you just want to listen to him. Right. Sometimes, again, hearing someone's voice helps you then read their book. Yeah. Because it's, you know, when you read words, it can feel harsh or tough. But when you hear his voice, you're like, okay. And so I found that to be helpful. And he has some resources on Amazon, even videos Mm -hmm. and small group stuff that, um, that people can, can work through if they, if they don't want to read, but they want to go through it that way. It's really, really helpful. So Brian, this is kind of a weird way to end the, 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 the podcast. We've gone through our books. We've made our suggestions. Why do you read? Well, I read for a couple of reasons. One, because it's fun. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, if you don't like words, but, don't read. But uh, it's it's such a great way to be changed, mm-hmm. and uh, I I want to learn, yeah. and I want to be a lifelong learner, and I just don't know a whole lot of people who are. Um, leading really well mm. if they're not reading well yeah and so I, I i know that there's some that are and i know that there's some whole cultures that don't read much right and and they have great leaders yep. um but for where we are in this culture i just think you know reading is so important and there's been you know generations of people that would have done anything to get their hands on just one more book right <laughs> and so i don't want to uh, take that for granted that we have this this great possibility and I could easily spend an hour a night scrolling a Facebook feed. Right. And all that it would do would be increase my anxiety. Yeah. And I would not learn anything of value or I could learn something that someone actually really spent tons of time writing as opposed to just flippantly, you know, ranted about something without (laughs) any kind of thought or editing or proofreading or anything else. And so I want to give more time to reading important things. I'm convinced that reading is a skill. Nobody is born reading, right? Kind of like any other thing. So the more you read, the better you get at it. Hmm. And the more that you read, the more that you're able to process deeper uh, kinds of information and narratives and and ideas and concepts. And and the quote at the beginning uh, that we had, we read to know we're not alone. Uh, We really only know what we experience Mm -hmm. or what we read. Mm-hmm. And or what we're told, interestingly enough. So we read because we don't have all the answers. We read because we don't experience everything that everybody else does. It's one of the reasons I like A Wizard of Earthsea. It's not real, but there's a type of experience there that helps me deal with my own heart and my own mind or uh, dealing with the color of compromise. I'm not black. Um, I haven't experienced this type of racism and prejudice, but now I have a better understanding, even though it's not experiential. Yeah. So if you're reading a book that you don't like or that you are, that you don't respect or appreciate, do you just quit or do you like push through it? No, I, I push through it. Um, I, I, I like in 
I like to read the opposition, if that makes sense. Um, I don't always read things that I agree with. So I have many books by Nietzsche or other atheists that I completely disagree what with. If, what if it's a fiction that you just think is boring? Oh, no, I, I chunk that. Yeah, yeah, if it's a fiction that's boring, that's different. Yeah. Uh, this is just bad writing. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to waste my time on, on bad fiction. Yeah, yeah and uh, also to anybody who's an aspiring writer, um, please don't try to write unless you read. Yes. Uh, and that's what that's the advice of every author out yep. there is if you want to write well, you need to read well. That's uh, that's Stephen King, right? In his book on writing, he's like, read, 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 yes. read, read, and yes. then write. Yeah, which anybody who wants to write should read Stephen King's memoir on writing. Fantastic. It gives you incredible insight and some respect into his life that I never had. Yep. Um, because he's weird. Uh, yeah, but, oh, very much so. <laughs> but man, did I learn a lot about writing in yep. that. So, yeah. Anything else about reading? Uh, not really. Uh, that's, that's kind of a... I don't know, really know how to end this episode. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. we usually do questions of reflection, but... Yeah. Um, what would we echo back on something like this? Uh, echo back. Oh, I, know, I got it. Okay. Okay, today's echo back is in the words of my English teacher in high school that I still remember today. Read till you bleed. <laughs> I no, I what? <laughs> she she used to end every class with we, that. She would say, "Okay, that? class, read till you bleed," and that was like her little way of just saying, "Read a whole bunch." Her little catchphrase. Yeah, I, and I, it stuck with me though. There's a thing about writing that says, "Say it strong and say it wrong," right? Because if you don't, then people won't remember it, and that's not always a great way to lead or pastor or talk to your wife. But. Um, <laughs> I think when she said that, <laughs> when when she said that, she said it strong and wrong with a point, and yeah. uh, she said words that would stick. And so I've always remembered, like, yeah, read till you bleed. It just as a funny way of being like, yeah, I'm gonna read a whole bunch. So, I'm Taylor. I'm Brian. And this has been the Echo Podcast, where we are looking for truth in the noise, and apparently reading until we bleed. Yeah, we are. <laughs> you guys take care. See you next time. Blessings.